You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. For the next hour, you're listening to the Classic Auto Mall show and podcast. Broadcast from the Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Classic Auto Mall is a world-class facility conveniently located just an hour west of Philadelphia and houses 600 classic cars for sale and 300 barn finds on display. Be sure to check out more at ClassicAutoMall.com. Now on to the show with our host, President of Classic Auto Mall, Stuart Howden. And good morning to our listeners. Good morning on a beautiful cloudy overcast day in morgantown i'm saying that more and more and more it's raining every saturday what's yeah. the deal but it means that we've got a ton of people here so we'll take that so they have nothing else to do and yeah, we're waiting at the door this morning <laughs> kind of like getting into a concert or it something. it really is it's like the when uh, festival seating back in the days when you had to run <laughs> to the right. spot That's you right. wanted and then you had to fight for it for the rest of the Van Halen concert. You couldn't move. Wouldn't. You couldn't move or you lose your spot. No, no, you couldn't. If you had to go to the bathroom, well, that's sorry. You should have planned ahead. <laughs> Don't drink too much beer. Yep. So anyway, I'm sure we've digressed into music Already. once again. See, once again. we're not even talking about Classic Auto Mall and music. And story. music. So um, I'm I'm here instead of down at Road Atlanta with our buddies. Um, Harry Dinwiddie, who we sponsor, is at the Walter challenge in uh, uh, Atlanta, Georgia uh, this weekend, and Bill Rothery is down there representing Classic Auto Mall, as well as Harry is, and mm-hmm. we sponsor Harry's Corvette, and he's got our logo on the front right nice. headlight cover, so we want to make sure that if he does have an incident on the track, it would be on the driver's side or in the rear, not on the passenger side front because that's where our logo is and we'll lose all of our marketing ability with that so right anyway um busy busy week this week it, it was <laughs> my phone was ringing off the hook or, or beeping that's, off the beeping hook. off the hook i think you got a sale this week didn't you or working, working, on, on, working it? on it right now all right. Well, as we good. speak I'm, I'm i'm producer slash car specialist today uh, yeah and want to say a welcome to the union league of philadelphia who's here today with us they are uh, hmm. uh they have an automobile club it's a sub club of the union league of philadelphia if you're not familiar with the union league wow. of philadelphia it's one cool private club in downtown philly in a cool old building and i don't know all the details of it but i know it's just cool and they're car guys and they're here they're gonna have a look around today and then they're gonna have lunch we're at 900 and some odd cars, 923 cars in inventory. So, um, so we have plenty. So if you're uh, in the market for something, let us know. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure we either have it right. or it's on its way or we can get it. Right. Exactly right. So we always tell people, look, if you're, if you don't see something you're looking for on our website, give us a call, give us an email. You can email us at uh, info at classicautomall.com for the uh, sales side of it. And if you've got a question about the show or the podcast, it's podcast at classicautomall.com as well, too. So Most of the car specialists keep a database if you're looking for something. One, I call it yeah. the w- WTB, the wanting to buy. Right. Uh, so I just met somebody today who wants a 61 two-door white Chevy Impala. Oh, I have one. Do you? No, I don't. Uh, I don't know if we have a two-door Chevy Impala, <laughs> Not 61, the, white no, on white. No, we just sold a bronze one, a 60. Well, which he wants is, white, and yeah. I have, so I'm putting that <laughs> And in a 61, <laughs> right. It's not close. It's like when the guy says, well, I have one just like that. Well, mm-hmm. you're, I, I have a two-door convertible, and you have a four-door sedan. So right. um, they're not just like it. So And the color is different and all of that. So that's a famous thing that people say all the time in the world. So you want to know where we sold cars this week, huh, Steve? Yes. What are you doing over there? Are you wearing another third hat now? I think I'm just I'm turning off an external microphone. Ah, there you go. So 
we had a busy week in sales. Uh, we sold to Rochester Hills, Michigan, Stoughton, Massachusetts, Coon Rapids, Iowa, San Angelo, Texas, Staten Island, New York, West Hampton, New Jersey, Woodbridge, Virginia, Hamburg, Pennsylvania, Coatesville, Pennsylvania, Lexington, Kentucky, Greenville, Mississippi, Crownsville, Maryland, Bear, Delaware, Le Home, France, huh. Rancho Santa Margarita, California. Know it. Millstone Township, New Jersey, Blackwood, New Jersey, Sedalia, Colorado, Townsend, Wisconsin, Los Angeles, California, Deerfield, Wisconsin, Goodyear, Arizona, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Do you know there's a Goodyear, Arizona? I did know that. I didn't know. That. I don't know if it's related to the tires at all, but it, it's, it's so bad. that's three, six, eight, ten, twelve, four, sixteen different states, or or fifteen different states in, in one country. country. So that we sold this week, and the Amazing. least ex- least expensive car, eighty two hundred. I was going to say eighty five. <laughs> Oh, we should make this a guessing thing for you every week. It's and, pretty consistent, though. I mean, eighty five hundred. Yeah. Bottom line, yeah, that's our kind of our the, the lower end. Yeah. It's an entry level classic car, which is cool. We like having that. We like uh, you know people being able to get into the hobby in mm-hmm. a reasonable amount of money. Most expensive car was over ninety thousand, though. So okay, so you know we have the spread. I mean, uh, you know, we literally do. We tell people that you know we have something for just about everybody, and that's no lie. It's so, true. We got some great cars in that are. You know, not on our list yet, just because we haven't got photographs or descriptions or anything. Uh, but a a, Cit- a '69 Citroen station wagon. Did you see that? I saw today. Very yeah, cool. and then a '73 Mercury Cougar 428 Cobra Jet four speed car convertible. Right. Red, white guts, white top. One of twenty four in that configuration or something like I that. It says it on the car. So I know. Like the guy is very proud of it. I know. Uh, so, but it's you cool. know, you can make it one of whatever. Yeah, you I know. Want. This is one of one that was owned by a guy named Ralph. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> People do that too. That's it's cool. You know, Kevin Marty with the Marty report, you know, when he, when he breaks down all the options in the car and what it came with and yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada, usually they can get it down to, you know, one of this with this particular, you know, AM radio instead mm-hmm. of AM FM or a particular color or that kind of thing. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, but it's cool to know. It's nice to know kind of the provenance of your car, whether it's, uh, you know, through PHS the documentation, which is Pontiac Historical Society or Kevin Marty and the Marty Report mm-hmm. or any of the other guys, uh, who keep those kind of data bases of of cars and where they are and what they are and all that good stuff. So, um, but anyway, uh, some of the new inventory in this week, uh, 65 Pontiac Grand Prix, and I'm a sucker for Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. I love Grand Prix. Do you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh-huh. That was condescending the way you said you, that. Do you? Do you now? Do you really? No, they are. They're, they're, they're the gentleman's muscle car. car. Yeah. You know, the cool guy. It's an understated muscle car. Yeah, it's like the poster down our hallway with the guy in the 69 Lincoln Mark III. He's got the aviator glasses. Yep. Got the cool looking leather jacket. You know, he was the cool guy. He was the Absolutely. cool, the cool father in the neighborhood who had a two door coupe. Mark you know? three, man. Yeah. Mark three was it or a Grand Prix. Yeah. Grand Prix, if we hillbillies say yeah. it. And, uh, so yeah, um, I love Grand Prix. This one's blue charcoal over dark blue. One owner. Wow. 1965. That's one owner. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's 58 years of ownership. That's crazy. You know, I've had a lot of things happen in my life in the past 58 years. And I don't think keeping a car that whole t- entire time was one of them. I have a matchbox from that era that I've kept my entire life. But I don't think I have anything from that. No, I think really? my parents threw everything out. Oh, I think they thought, what's the kid? They, I was a one and done. So, oh, you know, okay. Of only, chil- only child of only children. Really? Yeah. That's it. So, really interesting. Normally so, they would save everything. For yeah, I, you would think. But an only child of only children. You know what that means? 
Christmas kicked butt. Because <laughs> I had two sets of grandparents with right. nobody else to buy for. That's cool. Yeah. So I, I didn't realize the advantages of only child of, as an, of only children until then. So kind of unusual. And then of course I, you know, a few of my marriages have been into big families. Right. So. so you're one of one. I'm one. <laughs> Kevin Marty would claim me to be one of one. one there of you one. go. I liked it. Original owners. Original owners. <laughs> uh, this Grand Prix has a window sticker, original window sticker, rebuilt mm-hmm. turbo hydromatic 400 automatic transmission and dual Edelbrock four barrels. So nice. No slouch we have here. Cool. Uh, then we got in a amazing resto mod. Have you seen this 69 Chevelle, the silver one in the main? Oh, show yeah. And yeah the silver sure. blue. Oh, oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, silver Big blue engine. over black. Is that yeah. the twin turbo? 509 yeah. cubic inch aluminium as they say overseas v8 um twin turbo it's got a power glide transmission which is funny because people you know tend to dismiss the power glide as some you know no good you know no good transmission but a lot of the drag racers used them and a lot of these pro street type cars use them they there's a word there you you left out which is key Key, yeah. Built power glide. Yeah, I mean, built. Yeah, this engine needs something special. <laughs> yeah, it's not the one out of the three hundred seven Camaro <laughs> right. from nineteen seventy. Right. I'm certain of that. It would, so it would grenade. Yeah, uh, eighteen hundred and fifty horsepower. Oh my <laughs> lord! And it looks every bit of it too. Yeah, it does. It's, the hood, it's, it's, like, it's it's sinister, as they like yeah, to say. And I'm, it's not even black. Is usually what we the call color is beautiful. But you open that hood, and it's like, holy yeah, cow, that's a that's a it workhorse. Just it's it's shiny without being blingy. I guess you know what I mean. It's like it's. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's an aluminum shine. You know, it's kind of a dull, not a chrome shine that it has. To Be very it. happy at home. It's it's SEMA or something like that. Yeah, car shows. Yeah, I would imagine that it somehow spent some time at mm-hmm. some of those places. I would imagine that's what it was built for. I mean, the cost to build that car had to be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, also new uh, a 1975 BMW R890s motorcycle, Daytona orange over black. It can't be over black. The right. seat is black. The seat is black. <laughs> that would be the interior color. It's a Concour restoration. 898 uh, cc's Delorto twin carbs. Show winning. All the receipts are included too, which is really cool. And I recommend to anybody when you're selling a car or when you have a car and you're doing work to it, Make sure that you save all the receipts and paperwork and everything that comes with the car because all that will be important. Mm -hmm. And guess what? You'll forget half of the stuff that you did to a car because you want to forget it because you spent so much money on it. So you're trying to kind of out of sight, out of mind. But save the receipts and, you know, hide them from your wife if you must. But do whatever you got to do. Save all the paperwork. Don't lose it. Also got in a car that's near and dear to your heart, the Mazda RX-8. Uh, which we got a titanium gray metallic over black with 28,000 actual miles. So very special cars and, uh, you just don't see them in this kind of condition. 1.3 liter rotary, six speed manual, the first year for the RX-8. And they're really cool cars. They, uh, you know, they have a cult-like following, mm-hmm. I guess. Would yeah, be tuners the, and stuff like tuners that. Tuners like those, yeah. Mm-hmm. They always had an interesting exhaust sound, too. They were always had that kind of high pitch. Mm-hmm. I remember at the IMSA races back in the day in the 70s and 80s, the Mazdas just sounded like buzzsaws. You know, they were different sounding. Uh, and then, of course, uh, well, yeah. I want to say one thing about this, the yes. RSA, which I love is, and we talked about it, is, has a usable back seat. Mm-hmm. And I saw them, I remember seeing them at the car show, the auto show in Los Angeles and sat in the back seat. And I'm like, I'm a full size adult. I mean, I'm five eight. Well, maybe I'm not full size. I don't think full sizes. <laughs> I'm a medium sized adult. A medium. Although I wear large shirts. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Anyway, so the, it's a really yeah, cool. And they have the suicide type doors. Yeah, yeah, those. like sort of a, a like the reverse, like the uh, uh, the pickup trucks did for a while, where they had those extended cabs or whatever. Yeah, so. that's right. But um, 
Also a 93 RX-7, uh, Victory Red over 10, uh, with 57,000 actual miles. It's a two-owner car. And those are the twin-turbo 1.3 liters. So they got a little bit of go to them, right? And the body is highly desirable. Yeah. It's, Again, you just don't find them anymore. No. And this one's all stock, which mm-hmm. a lot of them are not. Uh, which is, you know, listen, whatever, you know, trips your trigger is all I can say. Then we got a barn find of all barn finds, a 41 Cadillac Series 63 sedan. 346 V8, uh, mostly complete, three-speed manual. <laughs> it's good restoration project or, or a rat rod project, okay. you know, if that's what you're into, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't venture to guess what everybody's into, but... Uh, well, project cars have been selling. So yeah, we've been selling a lot of project cars lately. Of course, we've gotten more aggressively priced on our, our barn find cars as well, too. So, you know, it's one of those things that uh, we, uh, <laughs> we're passing notes now in class. I don't know if I, yeah, we're, I'm telling you, I'm dual, dual, You're, dual you're multitasking here today. I like to see that. You know, it means I'm getting more bang for my buck, right? <laughs> you, did I tell you who was here last week? Uh, you did, but I forgot. Rick Wakeman from Yes. Oh, right. Wow, really? <laughs> yes. That's crazy. Yes, yes. Because oh, you looked at the logbook? The logbook. And right. it was like R. Wakeman at Wakeman Music. And he was a big, tall, blonde-haired, you know, rock and roll-looking guy. And wow. uh, Rick Wakeman from the band, yes, 73 years old. Remember, he always wore a cape. He was no. the cape where... Yeah. I'm not a fan. <laughs> Sorry. Pay much attention. Wrong guy. <laughs> you didn't pay attention to anything growing up, did you? Anyway, he was here. We were sorry we didn't get to say hello to him and get a picture made with him or whatever, but uh, maybe next time. He was in the area performing and somehow ended up here. Oh, so, wow. you know. Next kinda, time. Yeah, next time. We'll, uh, I guess we can't greet everybody or we can't know everybody that's coming that's in. Right. And, the, and the girls, of course, wouldn't know because they're, you know, 22 years old and mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't know who Rick Wakeman is or right. yes is even for that Look matter. Me. Yeah, you don't I know. I barely know. Yeah. So when we return, I guess you're giving me that signal that yes. when we return, we're going to have our special guest on, uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, Mr. Ken Gross. And when we return in a couple of minutes to the Classic Automall podcast, we'll talk all things automotive and concour and all kinds of stuff. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. See ya. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast from the Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. And we have a very special guest today, our buddy, Mr. Ken Gross, who's probably surprisingly home on a weekend. I, I will have to delve deeper into this. Usually he, like us, is gone every weekend. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. How are you, Stuart? I'm doing fantastic. We were just surprised that you would be home on a Saturday. This is, must be a rare treat. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I, I am 
going to Lugano, Switzerland, uh, <laughs> week after next to a Concours and then on to Modena. But this morning I just got up like everybody does here and went to uh, drove my wife's old Porsche to Cars and Coffee. Nice, so nice. Just came back. And, so what is your daily driver normally? What do you drive? Her car or something? Uh, I drive a press car most days. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Because I still do automotive reviews, but I, I do have a, uh, when I need it, I have a 2010 Dodge Charger police car. It's a full police package, <laughs> nice. uh, slick top, unmarked car. Nice. With, uh, with, with a Hemi and uh, it belonged to some police chief in Pennsylvania and I, um, it, it still fools a lot of people, even though it's not the current body style. Sure, sure. Well, you know, when if you're doing something wrong and you see something in your rearview mirror that looks like that, I'm sure that the the the, uh, the heart rate goes up just a little bit. Nobody wants to pass me. <laughs> You know, I, I, oh, that's a whole long story of passing the cop one time, pining over it for 10 minutes or 10 miles, and I finally pass him, and then he pulls me over. So, you know, it's one of those things. So, um, we met, gosh, you know, I was just thinking, we, I, we met, it was probably over 20 years ago in Branson, Missouri, uh, mm-hmm. when we were working on a project that didn't come to fruition called Motoropolis. Uh, with our friend Kent uh, Emmons and Howard Levine, and uh, I'll never forget. We uh, boy, we were close to getting that one done, weren't we? Yeah, that that uh, had all the potential to be a really great idea, but uh, unfortunately, I guess it was the financing never never got off the ground. Yeah, and I remember we, uh, you know, it was one of those things. It was we decided that how cool would it be to have a permanent year-round auto show instead of, you know, the traveling circus of the auto show where they go, you know, for 10 days in L.A. and 10 days in here. What if we did a permanent one with a test track in the back and the whole nine yards, and it was really cool? And, of course, you know, it was like anything. It was going to cost a gazillion dollars. So I guess maybe that had something to do with it. We, um, uh, but, but more recently, we've been seeing each other a lot at the uh, Chattanooga Motoring Fest and festival. And boy, that has taken on a life of its own, hadn't it? Yeah, that, uh, this year it'll be even bigger and better. We have a, um, the Meekum auction people are returning. We have Luft Colt coming with Patrick uh, Long from California. Um, the Targa 66 people are running the track. You know, we have a track inside the, um, uh, the city, more or less, which we've updated, and Canosa, the Ferrari folk are doing a tour. So there's there's a lot of elements. Sure, sure. The Ferrari collection that you guys have had on display over the past few years has been spectacular. Just to, to to understate it, you know. Well, appreciate you saying it. This year, we're calling it the J. Willard Marriott Ferrari Club because Mr. Marriott. Uh, has sent cars in the past and is going to send some, we hope, this year. And we, we're trying to make it really special. If you bring a, a high-end Ferrari, we have a, um, a really nice arrangement for you, special hotel dedication, uh, a party, and uh, a lot of uh, fellow Ferrari enthusiasts. Uh, and you can get a Platino Award because we have Chris Current and his Ferrari uh, official judges. There, wow. So. Wow. And Marriott's got a few nice cars, I hear. He does indeed. <laughs> He's one of those. You know, it's surprising. There's guys out there that are way way under the radar. He happens to be way under the radar, except if you're in kind of the circles that you and I are in and people that we know, and we know that he has a collection of cars. But I'd imagine that most people would have no idea the collection of cars that he or some of the other guys, like the Waltons and, and all of them have. Right. Uh, Trish and I visited uh, Rob 
uh, Walton's collection a few weeks ago, and it is nothing short of spectacular. Well, you know what surprised me? I was watching the Formula One race, and I realized that Max Verstappen's Red Bull car has Walmart sponsorship on it, which is <laughs> which is funny because you just don't equate Walmart and and Formula One together until you know who Rob Walton is. You know, so um, did I read you've written twenty five books? Is that Correct. Oh my yes, God! Yes, it is, and I'm uh, I'm working on three more. So, uh, <laughs> well, why not? I don't think I've read 25 books in my life. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, at one point, I thought that it would be cool to write 10, and then it quickly uh, increased, and now 30 is the target. So we'll see what happens. What What's your next subjects that you're wor- working on? Well, I, I'm doing a book on Rob uh, Ross Meyer's Hot Rod Collection. Oh my God! Uh, I'm doing a book on Vashik Polak. The um, uh, Czech uh, mechanic slash first official Porsche standalone dealer in uh, in this country. Sure, uh, those um, those two are in the works, and I'm writing a book uh, in conjunction with um, about the Ayala brothers, who were the Chicano uh, Mexican American counterparts to George and Sam Barris. Wow, they were in East LA, right. and uh, Lynn Ayala, who's the daughter of Gil Ayala has a wonderful treasure trove of photographs. They did a number of very famous customs, but they're still, as you say, under the radar. And, sure. Uh, the Ayala family would like a book about them, and it's been fun to uh, dig through the photos and everything they have. Sure, for, sure. Yeah, uh, because that's stuff you don't just find at the library, right? I mean, you've got to no. you, you really, really di- you dig deep. Find, you can find some of it in my library. I'm right. sorry I can't. A screen around, but I've, I've, got, uh, I've been collecting books since I was 12 years old and magazines, and I, I have a, I'm proud to say I have a really fabulous library here. Wow, fantastic. And you've got almost a complete collection of AQ? No, I'm sure you have the whole collection and double of Automobile Quarterly, right? Oh, yeah. I used to write for Automobile Quarterly when um, when they were in Princeton, New Jersey. Sure. Scott, uh, Scott Bailey, who founded uh, AQ, was my neighbor. And, uh, <laughs> How convenient. So, yeah, would uh, and I wrote for them for a number number of years. Right. Yeah, it's still a wonderful reference, and I've never found a misspelled word in the index. Isn't that amazing? So their yeah. index is something I used to cross check. Sure, sure, yeah. And Jerry Durnell took it over in later years uh, before his passing, and uh, Jerry Durnell took it over in later years before his passing, yes. and yeah. it was it was a hard uh, business model to continue. It didn't. It, unfortunately, it was. It, you know, books in general got to be tougher. Than it used to be twenty five years ago, right? I mean, with everything well, on the internet. Yeah, a- AQ uh, never had advertising, and I said to Scott Bailey one day, "Why don't you have advertising?" And he said, "Well, we did a little survey, and half of our people said they wouldn't like advertising." So <laughs> the other half, you know? yeah, exactly. Well, because it really would work. Well, you know, it, it's funny when we talk about writing and, and different things. We're talking about like when we write descriptions on our cars here. People don't read the whole description. They want to read the bullet points. And that's where everybody gets their news and their information. It's all bullet points. And it's it's sad in some respects, but it's indicative of the times, you know. Well, you mentioned uh, books and the right book. You're not going to make make a million dollars on them. But a, but a good book that's well-focused on an automotive topic that hasn't been written about is um, it's still a viable uh, project. Absolutely. 
like Preston Lerner just did a book on Carol Shelby, and the, uh, there's material in there, and I'd probably have every book on Shelby that I've never seen. Right. So, um, once again, you could have all the Shelby books, but you really need Preston's book to uh, be up to date. Sure. Well, uh, I did the most recent automotive book I wrote, read was uh, Kirk White's Don't Wash Mine. And yeah. that thing, of course, the problem with it, it weighs like 90 pounds, so your lap is sweating when you're reading this thing because you're doing a little workout with your legs to keep it up. But a fast, fascinating writer and a fascinating book. He, Kirk had, uh, he was, his foresight was terrific. He seemed to a- anticipate what was going to become popular in the automotive world. And he got in there and became an expert and, and had the parts and pieces before anybody else figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I only got to meet him on the phone one time when he was in New Smyrna and I had a question for him about something that came up, a car that was here that he had sold. And he was just gracious with his time. And we probably talked for an hour on the phone and then he, you know, soon, soon afterwards passed away. And of course I've become friends with Till, Phil Tegmeyer, uh, who is a Concord judge and lives around here and worked with Kirk for many years. And he's quite the character himself. Uh, so Phil telling Kirk stories is always fascinating. <laughs> Now, Kirk was one of the first people to do auctions in this country. In the early 1970s, uh, he had Omar Landis, who was basically a horse uh, auctioneer <laughs> right. from the Midwest. And they uh, they had tents with chicken and champagne in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and I remember seeing a Ferrari GTO sell for $7,500. Oh. Wouldn't you love to just bought that? But $7,500 was a lot of money. A lot of money. And you go through, and, and we were saying this earlier, you just go through life. Life happens, and it's hard to keep a car for that many years and not with moving or living out of the country or moving to an apartment or whatever you do. It's not that easy, and we get that all the time. People say, "Why didn't you do this?" and "Why didn't you keep that?" and "Why?" Because you just couldn't. It just wasn't feasible to do. And like you said, people say, "Well, you got the the coupe. It was twenty five hundred. Why didn't you get the convertible? It was twenty eight hundred. Well, three hundred dollars was two months' rent. <laughs> so it wasn't nothing. So, but yeah, it's a shame that we didn't have some of the foresight like some of the guys that we see nowadays. I mean, we know a lot of guys, you and I both, who who bought the right cars and put them away, and boy, they've done really well with them. You know, did you, and you've owned some Ferraris over the years, haven't you? Did you? I did. I had a two seventy five GTB, wow, and a two forty six GTS Dino. Um, and the GTB was probably the best car I'll ever own. Um, and I had to uh, take a second mortgage on my house to buy it and buy my then wife a fur coat. Uh, that was the deal. She got the Lynx coat and I got the Ferrari. Uh, but then she wanted her own Ferrari. So well, you know, for her. Well, there you go. I like that. You know, it's, it's funny how the things that when we put our minds to it, we can talk them into, right? <laughs> Well, it, it, uh, I thought that the fur coat was all all it would be needed, but right. then she decided since I had a Ferrari, she had to have a Ferrari. And the Dino was actually a great little car to own because it was fun to drive. What era did you? What years were these that you had these? Nineteen eighty one is when I bought the two seventy five GT. Oh wow! Yeah. It cost forty thousand, forty one thousand dollars. Oh my which goodness! Was not much less than I'd paid for my first house. Yeah, isn't that the truth? I mean, people don't realize that the 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 financial world is changed so much and and what used to be you know I, I remember my grandfather I think he was senior vice president of a book publishing company and I think in his heyday he may have made sixty thousand dollars a year and he lived like a king you know I mean traveled the world and and you know the value of money is certainly diminished over the years 
So um, there's a book that, that everybody talks about as being one of their favorite automotive books, other than the ones you've written. Let me let me preface it with that. Um, Kings of the Road. Tell me about that book. I don't know the book, and I've you know, never read it. I don't know how. Oh, uh, I, I have at least five copies of it within a two-second step over here. Right. So I first read Kings of the Road. It was written by Ken W. Purdy, who lived in Connecticut, was a, a car enthusiast. Uh, it was written originally Ken was the editor of True Magazine. Uh, so he published a lot of his stories, which the individual uh, articles became the chapters. And Kings of the Road is about all the cars that enthusiasts love. Bugattis and Bentleys, MGs, Ferraris. Uh, there's a chapter on each car. It's beautifully written. And Ken, Ken was a fabulous, uh, he really was a fabulous writer. And I would urge people today, even though that book was written in 19, early 1950s, find a copy on eBay because it's still great reading. And I, I read it every couple of years. I just reread it again. I love books like that that you just can't get enough of and that you go back to and you read and you've, it's almost like you learn something new every time you read it, right? You know, you just, it's, it's, it's absorbing. It's, it, 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 these days in reading, it's so, there's so many distractions in life. You know, your phone dings, you look away, all of a sudden, where was I? Who was that? What was I talking about? You know, that kind of thing. And, and it's, and it's fascinating because there are certain books that you just keep going back to and read over and over again. It's like watching a good movie. You know, it doesn't get old. Well, Purdy, uh, in, in Kings Road, uh, the original cover, it's had several different editions and covers. It had a picture of Ken and his, uh, Mercer race about. And there's a whole chapter on how he found this car in Western Canada and bought it sight unseen and shipped it to the East Coast. And he talked about what a, what a, great car was to drive this is a 1913 car in the in the 1950s wow and years later when i was at the peterson museum we had the bob peterson purchased a mercer raceabout and i had never driven one and i i couldn't believe how well it handled right a car that's that old on those skinny little tires i mean the brakes were nothing to write home about sure but the car you could feel what a thoroughbred these things were they were lightweight for their time and uh, while they didn't have a huge amount of horsepower, they had just enough. And uh, yeah, and, and it was I, the first time I got behind the wheel. I thought, Ken, I'm I'm, I'm driving your car. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you were reliving it through him. So when we return, we will continue our conversation with uh, our friend, Mr. Ken Gross, and we'll be back with the Classic Automall Podcast in just a minute. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com awr. That's 888-268-4783. Or visit jctaylor.com awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. I am back. Let's talk Venezuelan with Josie Cruz and friends. Every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast at our world-famous studio and 
beautiful downtown Morgantown, Pennsylvania, where it's overcast, cloudy, and foggy, which is what I seem to be saying in the past three. Oh, Saturdays. we're getting rain for the next three days. It's uh, <laughs> it's really the start of car show season yeah. in this area of the, yeah. of the world, and uh, some of them are rained out this yeah, weekend. Yeah, unfortunately, they are. We've got our dear friend Ken Gross, who's joining us from uh, Virginia this morning, and uh, appreciate you being on the show this morning, Ken. And uh, we've been having a great conversation about all of our. I watched a great thing on was it Netflix last night on uh, Ab Jenkins and the boys of Bonneville and uh, talking about, you know, characters and the Duesenberg, uh, Augie Duesenberg, who built motors for him. And, and just those guys were so far outside the realm of reality. <laughs> I mean, uh, you got to look at Ab Jenkins went 24 hours without hardly a break in setting the 24 hour speed record at Bonneville. Now, Ab Jenkins was extraordinary. That film was put together by John Price, who has a wonderful collection of cars in Salt Lake City, and he owns the Mormon Meteor 3, which has an aircraft engine in one of uh, Ab's cars. And Ab, um, because he didn't drink, he didn't smoke. Right. uh, He made a big deal about drinking milk, which he said was great. And uh, and he could drive and drive and drive. They they laid out uh, a big circle of Bondo, um, miles in diameter, and he could just drive round and round and round to do those endurance uh, runs in the Mormon Meteor and some of the other cars he uh, he drove. Uh, and at one point, after driving 24 hours, um, he had the the, the uh, accoutrements to shave and clean himself up. <laughs> so when he finished, and the, for the pictures, he was all clean shaven and ready to. Ready to go. I mean, well, imagine driving a car no. 150 plus miles an hour for 24 hours. With, with no top, with some goggles and a leather helmet. Yeah. And, and he was, he was a handsome guy too. He was, you know, he, no wonder he was shaving. He was, you know, he had to look good for all the ladies, right? Well, he's married. His wife, they said, was always there with him and by his side. Yeah, his, his uh, son uh, took after him and became a, um, uh, if not a racer, certainly a restorer. Right. I mean, Mormon Meteor One for many years was in, uh, uh, and and more and Meteor three were on display in, in Utah, and he he also was the mayor of Salt Lake City. I mean, right. among among his other things, that he, <laughs> you, and uh, there there are some wonderful books on Ab Jenkins. So right. if you, the listeners are interested, you know, Google Ab Jenkins sure. and read one of the books. Lloyd Clymer did uh, did them in the fifties. Sure, they really you know, you look back at guys like that and you go, where in the hell did they find the time to do everything that they did? It's well, like they, they, they weren't watching television. <laughs> True. They didn't have the Internet. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I mean, do you – speaking of the Internet, do you still – I mean – you, st- you mentioned you use automobile quarterly for reference. Do you do you find yourself more and more using the internet for reference uh, when it comes? Um, I don't. I don't try. I mean, I, I sound the wrong way here. Um, I would rather go to original sources. Right. And I'm fortunate. That I have every issue of every American magazine. Hmm. I have nearly every book that's been published on cars since the 1940s. Uh, so I, I go there first. Sure. Uh, that that's that's the right place, and there's no substitute, of course, for talking to the actual people. Now it's getting harder um, to uh, to do that, but uh, but if you can find someone who is there, uh, that's 
that's pretty good. Yeah, and with the advent of of doing what we're, I mean, look, we've got a studio here that yeah, 20 years ago would have cost us a million dollars. We couldn't have ever done this, and now we can do it, and we can preserve things. And, you know, we hope in our little way that, that you know, whatever we're doing and talking about, somewhere in the annals of history, you know, 50 years from now, somebody will go back and listen to one of these, and when they want to hear about, we had Corky Coker on last week, who was a great guest, and, you know, and you and, and everybody else we've had, that there'll be some reference to it, that you'll, you know, they'll, somebody will say, well, didn't he say something on this particular, you know, podcast or whatever it is. I mean, not like I'm the only one doing podcasts these days, but <laughs> do you get asked once a week maybe for to do a podcast? Uh, well, I, I enjoy doing them. Uh, it just, it's just fun to share the interest and share the knowledge. Yeah, uh, we just want it to be fun. That's what we uh, – our mantra when we first started this about a year and a half ago is, listen, let's have fun. Let's talk to people that we enjoy talking to. Let's learn a little bit when we can. Uh, you know, I hated history in, in high school, and now history is one of my favorite things, you know. And it's funny how that went like that. But, uh, and, and I know that you've done a lot of television stuff as well, too. Do you like doing television or do you prefer just writing a book and kind of being a little under the radar? My, my favorite thing is writing. Right. Uh, and I, I really enjoy it. I didn't think of myself as much of a public speaker for years, but I do these exhibitions of fine cars and fine art museums. And actually, when I was at the Peterson as well, I really found that I had to get up on my feet and speak uh, knowledgeably, convincingly, and so forth. And so I just developed the uh, the skill to be able to uh, to do that. But my favorite thing to do is start first thing in the morning uh, and write something, have something that I, I need to write. And uh, oftentimes, I'll think about something at night and wake up and jot some notes down on right. a piece of paper. I know I won't remember them in the morning. <laughs> exactly. I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. So, you know, there, that's how that goes. But, you know, I, some of the stuff that you've written of late, uh, you wrote a really uh, fantastic tribute to Dr. Fred, uh, Dr. Fred Frederick Simeon, who uh, recently passed and has the most fantastic collection of cars maybe ever seen or ever will be seen. Would you not? Well, you know, Fred was unique in, this, in the idea. He was a neurosurgeon. Uh, and he, he found time to amass a fabulous collection of cars, which you can still see at the Simeon uh, Museum. And in order to write that tribute to Fred, I reread most of his book. Right. Um, the, uh, and and I, I commend it to your listeners because Fred was all about preservation and originality. And when you read it, you start thinking, why in the world are we restoring these cars? Right. Why? Restoring the history away, mm-hmm. and Fred was—I think Fred was right about that—and uh, his book makes inspirational reading. Really yeah. does. Well, I mean, if you look at the Cobra Daytona, I would imagine most wealthy guys, if they could get their hands on that car, would want to restore it to pristine condition. And that was—that was so far against what he felt and and wanted it to be. Wanted it to be in as race condition. That was—that's part of its history. You know, new paint is not part of its history. You know, when, when you restore it, I mean, there are cars that need restoration. They are so far gone. Sure. Uh, but, but if they don't, when you, when you look at, a, at an original car, you're seeing the history for your own, you're seeing the wear, you're seeing what the, what the fabric looked like, what the leather looked like. Uh, so I, I'm all for, uh, not restoring. Yeah, I, I am too. 
32 years at Pebble Beach, and I'm saying that. <laughs> right, exactly, because those are all perfect cars. I mean, that's something that, you know, it, it's interesting to me, and I always ask judges and, and Concord de Elegances, uh, you know, how, you got 10 perfect J-model Duesenbergs. How the heck do you I decide which one's the best? Well, uh, then once you start looking, suddenly you see imperfections. Uh, you know, we can walk by a row of cars at a, at a Concorde and think, wow, how would, how would, how would anyone ever pick? But when you start really scrutinizing and you don't have a lot of time, 20, 22 minutes or sure. so to, uh, per car to do it, but you start seeing things that aren't, aren't, uh, aren't quite, quite right. Uh, and uh, that's, that's where it takes really skilled uh, judges to do it. But what's happening now, uh, even with the, um, uh, ICJAG, the, uh, the, the people who've set the standards, they're starting to realize that elegance and provenance are really important. Sure. And re-looking at what the, the point balance is to ascribe more points, perhaps, for, um, for beauty and elegance. Wow. Because yeah. that's, that's what a Concorde d'Elegance was always about. About uh, elegance, yeah. It's in its name. I mean, that's... that's a beauty contest for cars. Sure. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that because there's all types of different car shows and awards and things you can win. And, you know, you cut the Best Custom, the Riddler Award, America's Most Beautiful Roadster, you know, all of those. Um, you know, and listen, and, and, and beauty's in the eye of the beholder, too. They say that. But I, I got to tell you, I saw one of the prettiest cars... I've ever seen a custom. Uh, you had mentioned earlier about three, uh, Ross Myers' Three Dog Garage. That uh, uh, car that he did that won the Riddler Award in 2007 was just unbelievable. It's still spectacular. And that was. And the engineering in that car is pretty. Uh, it was seven, 16, 17 years ago that it won that award. And it's just, it, it stands t- as tall today as it ever did. That know? was Troy Trepanier who did that, uh, that car. And. Uh, Rad Rods by Troy in Mantino, Illinois. Right. He is, he's one of these under the radar craftsmen. He's, he's very, very good. What about the, I, I know, you know, a lot was said and I know a lot was written about the Hirohata uh, Mercury that sold at uh, Mecham not too long ago. What made that, I mean, what, what was, what was the, what was so special about that car? I know, but I, I'm curious on your take on it. What, what made that well, car what that, it was? That, that car, uh, when it first came out, it was probably the most stunning Mercury that had, had been done. It was done in 52, 53. It was essentially a brand new 51 Mercury. Bob Hero had bought it from some people who hadn't kept it very long. Basically went to Barris with a blank check. And so they, they made a hard top out of it. The colors that, that pale green were different from anything else. Every aspect of that car was, was modified, but not for a modification's sake. It was modified to, to really look sleek and streamlined. And then the history was fabulous because Jim McNeil bought it for $500 after it had been in <laughs> Running Wild, the movie with Mamie Van Dorn. And Jim kept it his entire life. Uh, he kept it in a little garage in suburban Los Angeles, occasionally worked on it. And Pat, the late Pat Canal uh, discovered it and uh, organized Restores, uh, including Junior Conway, who painted it, and Frank Cisagni, who'd done some of the metal work. So the, the combination of the beauty of this car and the provenance of it, I think, made it very, very special. And it was a privilege for Wayne Creaney and me because we knew uh, Jim McNeil, right. and uh, and he had basically said before he passed away to his kids, uh, "Call Wayne, call Ken, and they'll help you sell it." And, wow. But it. it 
uh, it doubled what we thought. It, it was. <laughs> Isn't that funny? We we know so much until we don't know anything, right? I mean, it's 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 crazy. I mean, people say, you know, the so and so car is overpriced or this is overpriced. I said, just go watch any auction. There'll be at least one or two cars that just go beyond reason, uh, especially Meekum or Barrett Jackson. I mean, you know, you're going to see something that's just going to go. Well, there's a famous story about Paul Papillardo who bought a Ferrari GTO a number a number of years ago. He paid a million dollars for it. And someone said, Paul, they're not worth a million dollars. And his answer was, well, they are now. <laughs> exactly. And I always tell my buddy, I said, you know, he, who always pays too much for cars, you know, the, the running joke is you, you didn't pay too much. You just bought it too early, you know. <laughs> and 20 years from now, hopefully it'll be worth something. Anyway, we, I hope you have time to stick around for our third segment. If you got another f- 15 minutes, we'd love to. I got 11 pages of notes here, so <laughs> I got plenty to talk about. When we return, we'll continue our lively conversation with uh, our friend Ken Gross on the Classic Auto Mall podcast. See you in a couple of minutes. It's a museum. It's a showroom. It's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast from our Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. There's a lot of people here today, Steve. I hope you're not missing any sales. You know, Mr. Salesman, don't want to miss anything. We've got our our wonderful guest, uh, Mr. Ken Gross, with us here today. And you, we were talking off the air, and you said something that really struck me about manufacturers of cars embracing or not embracing their heritage. And I don't understand why they don't. You remember the Chevrolet commercial that was not too long ago where the the, the father had the car in the barn and then they, the daughter had it restored and most right. touching thing ever. Why are manufacturers reluctant to, to embrace their heritage? Are they that far gone? It, it's, it's hard to know why because in many instances – um, some of the more the newer companies from Japan or uh, or Korea they don't have this heritage of 50 70 years uh, ago to point for many years Porsche wanted to bypass the whole James Dean thing because Dean was sadly killed in a Porsche 550 sure. Sure. but a few years ago when they came out with the Boxster they did a commercial uh where they showed an older man and he looked a little like maybe James Dean in his 50s and he had a uh, a 550 Spider and a new Boxster in his garage, and he went out for a ride. And it is eerie and fabulous right. at the same time. Yeah. First time Porsche kind of embraced that heritage because it wasn't Dean's fault. And, sure. Uh, 
was all about a fabulous car that's still a fabulous car. Sure. Well, and you know, I, I just think that, that the heritage of it, of course, you know, it's, it's the, the embracing of your heritage is getting more and more difficult depending on, you know, the type of cars that are coming out that we're seeing and the, you know, the hybrids and the electric cars and all that. Are combustion engines uh, a thing of the past sooner than we think or are we, are we, what do you think about that? Well, you know, when you think about it, uh, back in the early 1900s, you had steam and icy uh, engines and electric cars all competing, and you didn't have gas stations. I mean, that whole idea, you, you purchase gasoline from some supplier or at a drugstore, of all things. But the um, the infrastructure caught up really quickly. Right now, with electric cars, the infrastructure is struggling to uh, to get up with it. But with all the legislation that's happening, um, I think the IC engine probably by 2035, 2040 or so could be could very well be a thing of the past. Sure. But what I hope is for all of us hobbyists that we'll still be able to drive our cars, find gasoline to do it. But Road and Track many, many years ago wrote a story about this very thing where IC engines were outlawed purchase of gasoline was forbidden and they wrote about a car enthusiast who'd squirreled away some gas and went to went for a ride in a ferrari like car and had to run away from the electric powered uh, police <laughs> and the, the people who wrote this story didn't anticipate thousand horsepower electric cars <laughs> right. like a lucid uh, so they were saying that they, were, they 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 were thinking that an electric car would be sort of like a golf car sure so of course i could run away and hide in his Ferrari-like car, but I think as much as we love these cars and as much as the IC engine has been refined to a fairly well I, I think it's going to go away. Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid you're right. But you know what's interesting? We were, we were talking the other day about running cars inside a building, and we can start a 2020 Camaro and let it sit in the corner and run all day, and nobody will have tears in their eyes or smoke in their nose or you know any other car we start. You can't run it for two seconds without having some <laughs> some issue with it. But you know, it, it's a shame. I I love internal combustion engines. I don't hate electric cars. I just I want them to be practical to use them. I I don't want to be stuck on the side of the road somewhere because i can't get a you know a charge or it's going to take me eight hours to get there the uh, the, the range range keeps uh, increasing and uh, there are many of them that now uh, advertise 300 350 400 miles uh, and that's longer than you can drive so yeah. I mean, you certainly stop but uh, uh, but i i had a mini last week a little uh, mini e and the range was 110 miles mm. now that's just not enough for right most uh, practical sure. use, sure. But, but many of the new ones have longer range. So, how do I get signed up for this new vehicle testing thing so I can start getting them to send me new cars down here? Is that possible? Do you think I? I, I, don't know. <laughs> I, I think it's also becoming a thing of the past, frankly, because uh, of the factors you mentioned before. Um, you can. You don't have to wait three months for a magazine to write a road test right. anymore. Uh, with COVID, the car manufacturers realized they couldn't be sending cars out and they couldn't have journalists in for special events. So they changed their whole MO. And, uh, I, I, I think almost any time soon, the, the idea of, of journalists around the country having test cars probably going to go away. Sure. I was lucky because I started doing it in the, uh, late seventies. So sure. It's been a long time. Yeah. You're grandfathered in, as they like to say. We, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about concept cars and, and I know you'd written an article for a sports car market about that Chrysler Gia Super Dart, uh, uh, 400. And, and I got to thinking, you know, what's the fascination with concept cars and, and, and outlandish design, not, you know, notwithstanding, 
I think the fact that they are really not supposed to be here anymore. They were never supposed to have survived. They were supposed to have been shown and destroyed. And luckily, some smarter guys than us said, wait a minute, we've got to squirrel these away. We're not going to destroy them. We're going to tell them we destroyed them, but we're not going to destroy them. Well, I, I did an exhibit of um, green cars, we call them, for the High Museum of Art in Atlanta. And in doing some of the research for it, uh, you know, you look at these old books about concept cars, and there are a number of cars that did not survive. General Motors actually ordered their executives to destroy a number of these cars. And uh, there was a, a, a uh, junkyard called War Hoops north of Detroit, and the owner couldn't bear to destroy the cars. So he took them, and in some cases they dismantled a few of them. Some were lost and destroyed. Sure. But he saved a lot of cars. And people like Joe Bortz out in Chicago managed to track them down and uh, and restore them. Uh, but they, they really weren't meant to be driving. The Chrysler Turbine car, which they built 55 of those, wow. as soon as that experiment was over, they they donated nine of them to museums and collectors after taking out a few essential parts so they supposedly could never run again. But then they destroyed them all because with the law at that time, they would have had to uh, send them back to Italy. They didn't have parts for them. They didn't want them on the road for liability and so forth. So a Chrysler turbine car is a very rare piece today. Absolutely. And they uh, bring a premium at an auction. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> what was interesting I saw <clears throat> recently at the Chattanooga Motoring Festival, which we were just talking about, uh, is the fact that you got General Motors to to wipe the dust off a few of those cars and bring them out for public viewing. And they should do that more and more and more and, and open that place to the public. Well, Mike, Mike Simcoe, who is the head of design, world head of design for General Motors, and his predecessor, Ed Welburn, they are very proud of these cars, and they have been wonderful about letting them out for people to uh, to see them. Uh, and they recognize that uh, not only was this a, a terrific statement about General Motors back in the early 1950s, but it still shows how the modern thinking, progressive thinking that they did. My dad took me to the Commonwealth Armory in Boston to see the GM Motorama, and most people today have no idea about these giant traveling shows. They were like Broadway productions going across the country uh, so that people could see the concept cars and then hopefully buy a new Chevrolet based on uh, the confidence they would have in the in General Motors. Sure. So, and- yeah. And the future liner, the future liner buses that they built that, uh, you know, I mean, they were just, they were out of this world, uh, uh, crazy. But, but I will say this, that in order to continue this hobby and for kids to get excited about it, I watched the kids look at the Firebird one and two down at Chattanooga that looked like airplanes and the kids were going nuts over them. They were, they were, look, 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 and more so than you would ever see them get excited about any other cars that they were looking at, which was light bulb to me that says, wait a minute, these are the cars that may keep people interested in this hobby? Well, in that time period, uh, in the, say, the, the decade after World War II ended, when you had all these advances in jet aviation, that was considered the, the most modern thing. And the idea that it would get onto the highway, of course it would. If you look at popular <laughs> mechanics in that era, you know, they're showing cars with wings and so forth. Uh, I think, thankfully, we don't have flying cars. We have enough problems with people on the road. But <laughs> right. it, was, it was something that, that, uh, that people really thought 
what's going to happen. And, uh, and what's interesting, and you point this out, is they are just as exciting to people today because it hasn't happened in a practical sense yet. Exactly. So we look at that and we think, yes, I want a flying car. Sure, I want a flying car until I realize that I'm already yelling at all the drivers on the non-flying cars who can't drive because apparently, I uh, and I've proven this, that I'm the only one on the planet who knows how to drive. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I love getting into a drone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, there's a fantastic magazine. I, don't, I guess it's still in existence that had some of the most beautiful t- photography, and it was a hot rod magazine, the Rodder's Journal. What's happened to that? Is that still around? Uh, yeah, the next issue is about to come out. Rodder's Journal uh, went through some financial challenges, but uh, they did put out an issue last fall, and I was in contact with Steve Coonan, who's the publisher and chief photographer, and they are working on the next issue. Uh, it, it really is a wonderful magazine, fun to write for, because they, they give you the space to really talk about the history of some of these cars. Sure. So if you're, if you're a Rodgers Journal subscriber, you should be getting a new the new issue fairly soon. That's, that's fantastic. I, you know, I love, I love those type of publications that are just, you know, amazing cars. But, you know, I mean, I guess the modern equivalent of, of the, the Rodders Journal and Hot Rods is the new Resto Mods and everything that's going on with that. I mean, we saw Barrett Jackson, was it last year, sold a Corvette that the sum of the parts was probably 300,000, sold for $700,000 and which was. Yeah, it, 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 it defies logic in yeah. some ways. Because years ago, the minute you modified a car, it affected its value adversely. <laughs> yes. Today, uh, you you look at the car and you think, well, this is what it would cost to build it, and it might it might cost you even more to buy it. Right. So it's it's, it's reversed the rule completely. Well, I mean, you can appreciate cars like uh, Boyd Coddington's What the Hay or the French Connection that were custom bodied, aluminum, hand formed, you know, fantastic cars. Just a bunch of parts bolted on and spray and paint, and I know. That's very simplistic of what they actually do to them. Doesn't seem like it it warrants that value. Well, uh, what's interesting, you know, you look at an old Pontiac GTO or or a bubble top Chevy, and and if you drive one of those cars the way they are stock, you're immediately disappointed. Lazy steering, right? And, uh, will not go around corners. They might have pretty good horsepower, but they're uh, they're almost scary to drive. And we're not even talking about brakes. So you upgrade all those elements. You know, you put on Willwood discs and you put on wider, better uh, wheels and tires, uh, and uh, and you put an LS2 in it and it, modern air conditioning, and suddenly you've got the best of both worlds. You've got this beautiful old classic that drives like a modern car. I know, and, and, and I get it. Yeah, I absolutely get it. I, you know, uh, you know, I don't get a lot of things, but I, I do get that is that, you know, listen, you get out of your brand new Cadillac Escalade and you get into a 69 Z28 and you're going to go, this is horrible. <laughs> this is the worst <laughs> thing I've ever driven. I got a couple more. Th- I, one thing I forgot to mention, and I always forget this about you is your coolness factor with the car world is immeasurable. And we all know that, but you have a really cool son too, who has a really cool gig. Uh, the lead singer for the Spin Doctors. I keep forgetting that. That is so cool. Yeah, my son Chris is a he's a remarkable uh, performer, songwriter, uh, and he uh, that's all he ever wanted to do was sure. be a musician. And when he was in college, uh, he kept leaving various colleges because <laughs> he, would, he would be on weekends. He'd be down in Greenwich Village performing. Sure. And, Finally had a, uh, a kind of heart to heart talk, and I sounded I must have sounded just like my father. You need to stay in school. You can't quit and be a musician. <laughs> and he convinced me that uh, that 
music was the right thing for him. And one of the ways he did it, um, he said, Dad, I used to watch you before you became an auto writer full time. There you were on the train with your blue suit and your briefcase. Maybe you had an issue of road and track. And you went to that office job day after day in New York City. He said, I'm going to skip the train and the blue suit <laughs> and the briefcase. And, and I need your help to do it. And I, I um, did help uh, financially for a while. Sure. He always knew that he'd had a great band and, you know, off they went. He's oh. in Spain this week performing and they, uh, the Spin Doctors are three of the original four, uh, and they are, uh, they've got a full concert schedule this summer and it makes me very proud. Oh, absolutely. It's so great. I love that. Anyway, thanks again so much, Ken, for being on the show today and thanks for everybody for listening and, uh, we'll catch you again at the Classic Automall podcast. You got any questions? It's podcast at classicautomall.com. We'll see you next time. We appreciate you listening to our show, and don't forget to come visit us in person next time you're in southeastern Pennsylvania. Admission is free, and our hours are on our website, ClassicAutoMall.com. You can reach us by telephone at 888-227-0914 or via email at info at ClassicAutoMall.com. Classic Auto Mall podcast is produced by CarSmarts Media with music by the Pat Travers Band. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.